Hello and welcome to Pharmacy For Me, your go-to platform for evidence-based best practice pharmacy advice for common kids' presentations to pharmacies. I'm Katie McGee, a registered pharmacist with the Australian Health Practitioner Regulation Authority, and I bring you this series of episodes to help assist your decision-making in managing and treating your little ones if they become unwell or need professional advice. Welcome to episode two of Pharmacy For Me. On today's episode, I will be discussing the hot parenting topic of teething. Firstly, I just wanted to say welcome and welcome back to those who listened in last week. I am excited to share this first episode of primary care information. On last week's episode, I mentioned a few things. I just wanted to clarify and discuss them before we get into the nitty gritty of today's topic. I mentioned you can find Pharmacy For Me on Spotify, which you can, but you can also find it on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music and Podchaser. So if you don't have Spotify, hopefully you can use another platform to listen in. On reflection, I realised I repeated myself a lot last week in attempt to reiterate the importance of some things, which was done on purpose, which I need to explain a little bit more. I wanted to discuss some of the terminology that I did use because I'm going to continue to use it and it's important for you to understand why I'm saying it and also what it actually means. These phrases are evidence-based practice, guidelines, primary care and over-the-counter medicines. Four in ten patients receive care that is not based on current evidence or guidelines and it can result in inappropriate treatment and potentially harm. So it's really important that you understand these terms um, that I refer to from the advice given. So the first term is evidence-based practice. This is information being provided by a person with expertise in that area. They use the best available researched evidence to ensure others, such as yourself, can use the information to make informed decisions around your health. It's about identifying gaps in providing this information and overcoming it. The next phrase is guidelines. These are usually created by specialists within that area who have experience in the field. They use good evidence-based research and articles to provide a guide for what to do. These are helpful because they are well created and you know that they incorporate the most um, up-to-date and researched information. We as pharmacists have many guidelines that we can follow provided by national bodies such as the um, Pharmacy Board of Australia. Evidence-based guidelines and standards of practice as phases themselves can be misleading because if you Googled journal articles on teething, there are so many articles that will come up. Please know that just because it is written in something published online, it does not make it good evidence. Any publication of guidelines needs to provide their strength of evidence. I won't go into detail about this. I will put a link in the resources if you want more information. But basically, this tells you how strong the advice is based on all the research out there in the world. 
and they give you a recommendation um, scale from there being no information, it being good, great, or excellent, so that you as the reader know how much you can trust that information. So have a look at the link if you want more information. The next phrase is primary care. So primary care is medical related information provided by a health practitioner. So in my case, it is pharmaceutical related information provided by me as a pharmacist and information around pharmacy product related conditions. People often think that primary care is more like first aid, which is right, but it is a wide term that when applied to any health practitioner means that that person is providing care regarding their profession. Lastly, over-the-counter. Over-the-counter medication or over-the-counter products means that whatever is being referred to is able to be obtained by going into a shop and buying it, so namely a pharmacy. People often assume that because these products and medications are readily available um, just by going to a pharmacy and not needing a prescription, that they are safe. However, some are harmless, some can absolutely cause harm, and they still need to be thought as as medications. They Some can interact with other things. Someone might be allergic to some of the product or it may need to follow strict instructions to prevent overdose. A very common example of an over-the-counter medication that causes harm in overdose is paracetamol. We think that this is a safe medication, which it is, but only when taken correctly. Paracetamol in overdose can result in issues as severe as liver failure. Alright, so now we are going to move on to the main topic for today, which I'm sure you're all excited about, which is teething. So I reached out to you on Instagram to see what you wanted to know about this topic and be sure that I will address all of those who provided an answer. In saying that, today I will cover a bit about teething, symptoms associated to teething, including those that don't specifically represent teething, non-pharmacological treatments including that dribble rash as well as myth-busting teething necklaces and bracelets, pharmacological treatments as well as the truth about teething gels. Lastly, I will give you things to identify as red flags or reasons for seeking further or urgent medical attention. Teething can be stressful and frustrating for caregivers, so hopefully being able to identify any signs and symptoms can help with keeping on top of the discomfort for the child. It is, however, a normal part of development, and each one person will experience it differently in terms of symptoms, timing of teething, and which teeth show first. So teething is defined as tooth eruption, where the tooth breaks through the gum. Children can start teething at any time from birth, with some rarely even being born with some teeth. Early teething would be anywhere from under four months, with most children starting teething from four to nine months old, but up to 27 months. Teeth will start to appear in stages, starting from the front, top and bottom two, then the ones beside them as they age, 
until the back molars erupt. In general terms, each next lot of teeth as they move along will come through three months after the previous. If you googled symptoms of teething, you will find everything under the sun, which is why this topic can be quite tricky to navigate as a parent or caregiver. Because there are so many symptoms, it is important to remember that many of the symptoms of teething can also represent other conditions that may delay diagnosis of them and become quite serious. Always look at the child as a whole and monitor any changes to, to their condition if you are treating for teething in case there is another issue that's actually going on. So the most common symptom of teething is teething pain. And this comes from inflammation of the gums. You will see that the gums are red and inflamed and this will be exacerbated by rubbing and biting of the area by the child. Other com common symptoms that you might see are the child sucking on fingers, drooling or facial rash. If any of these are present with no other symptoms, then you most likely can treat for teething. There are symptoms of teething by association, but these are what we would call systemic symptoms in that they affect an actual um, symptom system in the body of the child. For example, the gastrointestinal tract or stomach. Any of these symptoms are actually unrelated to teething and would require further examination of the child, like going to your GP. These are things like fever, especially higher than 38 degrees, vomiting, diarrhea, irritability, or agitated sleep. Since teething occurs over several years, it occurs at the same time of other developmental changes and when the child may be in environments that it is exposed to a variety of infections. And these can cause any of these effects. So this is why it's really important to seek further advice if there's a fever, vomiting, diarrhea, irritability or agitated sleep do occur. Moving on to treatments. Treating teething is treating the symptoms to make the child more comfortable. If they're not bothered, then they don't need any treatment as such. As each child experiences teething differently, what one needs, another might not. And what one works for one person may not work for another. Most of the symptoms commonly seen in teething can usually be seen physically. Like you can see a rash on the face. You can see if the child is drooling or sucking on their fingers. So it can be identified quite easily. However, with the most common symptom being teething pain, although you can see physically if the gums are red or swollen, it's often can be hard to interpret if a child is in pain. So how would you think to know if someone was in pain? The easiest way, I think, is to ask them. <laughs> and this is fine for a child who can speak. However, with many children starting teething before they can speak, it's up to you as the caregiver to make that decision. Just because a child is teething from what you can see from drool and sucking, if they're not in pain, then they don't need pain relief. The best person to tell if a child is in pain is you as the caregiver. You spend the most time with them and know how they usually act and their movements. So if the child can speak, um, you can ask them 
to if they're in pain. You can also ask them to point to where it hurts. And another way to get some more interpretation about what they're feeling is going through words to see if they can um, agree to them or help them try and um, describe what they're feeling. And you can use words like sore, burning, itching, trying to determine that feeling. If they are nonverbal, so not speaking yet, um, some ways to see whether or not they're in pain is to see if they have had any decrease in activity, any change in appetite or when trying to feed, if they're cranky um, or their behaviour, they look uncomfortable, expressing um, facial expressions such as frowning or grasping or physical signs, um, flushed skin, fast breathing or sweating. The first treatment for teething should always be non-pharmacological methods and this means that is it is not based on medicines. Remember the aim of treatment is to relieve symptoms. So some things you can try are firstly distraction. So try distracting them um, and a good way is with affection and attention to help keep their mind off the pain um, and this includes and is quite easy to do, is lots of hugs and cuddles. Um, it also makes them feel safe and gives them assurance if they're distressed. Another way is cooling of the gums and rubbing of the gums. So this aims to reduce inflammation and overwhelm the sensory receptors on the gums to reduce the pain. Some ways to do this safely are wash your hands first and then gently massaging the child's gum with your finger. You can give them a cold but not frozen teething ring or dummy. And another way is gently running a cold face washer along the gums. For older children, you can use soft and cold foods, um, which may help reduce irritation, especially if they're chewing or biting on food. If these methods um, do not succeed um, and the child is still uncomfortable and you can see that they are not really coping very well, then you can use pharmacological methods and these are being medications. So paracetamol or ibuprofen are your first line treatment for teething. And they're considered equal in the best treatment for teething pain. They are similar in safety for teething in children, although paracetamol is perceived as the safer option um, in patients without contraindications or precautions to use. Both are pain relievers. However, ibuprofen also has anti-inflammatory effects. So paracetamol first, as I said, is a pain reliever. The dose is based on weight and age and can be used from one month, so it's important to follow the dosing instructions on the pack. Ibuprofen is a pain reliever and anti-inflammatory. Again, dose is based on weight and age, so follow the dosing instructions on the pack. Note that this one is not to be used under three months compared to paracetamol, which is one month. And if using ibuprofen, make sure that the child is getting lots of fluids and not dehydrated.
People have the impression that ibuprofen must not be taken on an empty stomach and should always be taken with food to protect the tummy. This is somewhat true if an adult is taking it for long periods of time or in certain circumstances. However, in the setting of a child or baby using it, food can actually delay the onset of action of ibuprofen and therefore reduces its effect. Taking it without food is okay and proven safe in a child setting. One thing with these is to always make sure that you measure the liquid doses accurately to avoid overdose. In 2015, there was a large proportion of calls to the Australian Poisons Information Centre around over-the-counter medications in children under five years, which raised um, concerns around these medications. There was also a study done that looked at caregivers um, measuring doses for children under five, and it found that only 35% of people were measuring an accurate dose. Majority of people measured incorrect doses, not based on the child's weight, only looking at their age, and wrong dosing intervals. So it should be four hours for paracetamol and six hours for ibuprofen. The most accurate way to do this is using an oral syringe. You can get these from your pharmacy as well as they usually do come with a bottle of liquid medication, but only in one size. You can buy them in different sizes, for example, 3ml, 5ml or 10ml, which is helpful to measure accurate um, doses, especially if you need small doses and you only have a large syringe. So for example, um, the bottle might come with a 10ml syringe, but you only need 3ml of the medication but the 10 mil syringe only goes up in increments of two. So you would just be guessing a three mil would be the two and four line. Whereas if you had a three mil or a five mil syringe, you could get the dose more accurately because it would actually have a line for the three mils. So you should always try and get a syringe to the size closest to the amount of mil for the dose that you need. So now I'm going to talk about teething gels, which is a semi-controversial topic. There is a lack of evidence around teething gels as some ingredients have the potential for serious harm. So bear with me a bit here. It's important to read the fine line of the ingredients for teething gels. Many have a combination of ingredients and some of these can be harmful and or should be avoided. So any teething gels containing lignocaine, also known as lidocaine, should not be used for teething pain um, due to the risk of serious adverse effects, including some of these uh, seizures, cardiac and cardiac effects, so um, effects on the heart. The Australian and New Zealand Society of Paediatric Dentistry does not endorse the use of this due to the risk of toxicity, so the use of lignocaine. Furthermore, accurate dosing of lignocaine gel may be difficult um, and given easily in excess if you use too much, and it leads to the tox those toxicities and adverse effects because it's readily absorbed through the mouth. Some reports also state that the use of teething gels give relief not from the actual gel itself, but from the massaging 
and rubbing it on the gums, just like I discussed in non-pharmacological treatments earlier. Although the teething gels contain some nasty sounding ingredients, um, they, some, are considered safe to use when you use when used appropriately according to the instructions. As I said, it's very important for good application to ensure that gels are not applied in excess to potentially result in high absorption of the gel inside the mouth and then side effects. In 2018, there was a warning issued to avoid the use of benzocaine containing products for infant teething treatment. Despite this, people still use these products, so please be aware to avoid benzocaine and lignocaine and or lidocaine products for teething treatment. Finally, teething gels can, can provide short-term relief, but if your child swallows the gel you use on their gum, it can be hard to know how much they have actually ingested this can cause numbing of the throat and also potentially a choking hazard. So only use teething gels made for children and only as directed on the pack. One teething gel that can be used according to the instructions and appropriately applied is choline salicylate. You might know it as Bongella. It is a synthetic anti-inflammatory gel that is a pain reliever and anti-inflammatory. It works at the site, so of the gum where it is applied. It is provides quick relief and is, a, it is applied directly to the gum and is absorbed into that area where the pain is. Um, it does get washed away quickly, so it might not work for very long due to um, swallowing it or drooling and it coming out. Appropriate application is most important. So doses should only be enough to cover the tip of the index finger, so a pea size or smaller, then massaged into the gum completely. So it's not just put in as a clump, but make sure you wash your hands first. It can be applied every three hours and no more than six applications within 24 hours. And it can only be used from four months. So not to be used in any babies under four months old. So I now want to raise your attention for things to avoid. Honey, sugar, jam, anything sweet to a baby dummy or bottle. Do not do this. You, it does not provide any pain relief. Um, all you're doing is increasing the sugar intake to the child and potentially resulting in dental cavities. Next is teething bracelets or necklaces. So amber teething beads are worn by the child either around the neck, wrist or ankle and they're believed to bring soothing or help reduce pain despite there being a lack of evidence. There's been product safety reports issued against their use warning of possible choking or strangulation hazard. For this reason the Australian Dental Association also recommends avoiding these beads as necklaces and bracelets. Due to there being a lack of evidence and the risks associated to it of choking and strangulation, they are advised against use and it is recommended to optimise other non-pharmacological and pharmacological methods as I have discussed through this episode. 
Lastly, do not add medications to a baby's bottle. This can potentially affect the stability of the medication, but more importantly, it means that you cannot be certain how much medicine is actually being consumed by the child, especially if they do not drink a full bottle or equivalent. Next, we'll talk about teething rash. The other commonly asked question around teething is that darn rash that comes up around the mouth from all that drool. So drooling rash is where the skin has become irritated from being in contact with something else. In this case, saliva from the drool. It can look red, bumpy, inflamed. It can be itchy and sore for the child. The main thing is for this is to prevent it from occurring in the first place. So keeping the skin dry around the mouth from drool. The main area being the chin. If the drool is left, it can become irritated, leading to what we know as the teething drool rash. Make sure you wipe it with a soft cloth throughout the day, but a lot of the time I know it is just inevitable. Have the child wear an absorbent bib, so as they drool, the saliva doesn't just sit on the clothes and keep rubbing on the skin, especially the little chin. Other than keeping the area dry, you can use product to apply to prevent the saliva from irritating the skin in the first place. So it acts as a barrier between the saliva to the skin. Something that um, I would say to use would just be like a petroleum jelly or a um, like Vaseline on the area um, or any other barrier cream. So another really good barrier cream is zinc cream. Um, it's very white and not that flattering and you probably don't want to have it rolling around all over the floor but if you have a young baby who is asleep and it's not going to matter what they look like or what they're on the zinc cream or ointment is a very good barrier cream as well so some things to think about as um, red flags or needing to seek further advice or for re referral um, you should see your GP if a drooling rash does not improve with prevention and treatment or if you notice any oozing or crusting around the area or if the child is extremely itchy or in pain. Any child with other medical conditions currently on medications has an allergy or is using a treatment already that isn't working, you should seek further medical attention. If you have been trying remedies that I've discussed, um, and or above and have seen no improvement within a week, then seek medical attention. If there is any rapid escalation of the child's condition, for example, more symptoms, worsening of symptoms, and the child is uncomfortable, then try and get into the GP. If there is any compromise of the child's breathing, vomiting, not tolerating food, swelling of the face, lips, mouth, then call triple zero and attend your closest emergency department. So I hope you can take something away from this episode of teething. Remember, teething is a normal part of the child's development and it occurs at different times for all children. So don't compare to others. It can be hard to identify if symptoms are due to teething. So remember, if they have a fever, vomiting, diarrhea or irritability agitation to sleep to seek further medical advice. There is a lot you can do from home, such as using cold face washes on the gums, 
gentle massage and distraction with lots of cuddles. If this fails, you can use products from your pharmacy, such as paracetamol and ibuprofen, remembering to measure them accurately with a syringe and dose according to both weight and age. Avoid teething beads due to the risk of choking and strangulation and don't go putting honey on those dummies. Keep Bub's face nice and dry by using an absorbent bib and patting dry the area to avoid drooling rash. And remember, it will be painful for them. These treatments are there to help minimise the symptoms, not cure anything. You want the child to be comfortable, so don't aim to eliminate it because it's unlikely. The information discussed today is accurate only up until the date of publication. Remember that information discussed today is researched and sourced appropriately and you can find any references in the notes and on Instagram. So make sure you follow me on Pharmacy For Me. Next week, I will be discussing another interesting topic, which I'm sure you will all have lots of questions about it and it can be semi-controversial and it will be colic. So I'm sure you want to listen to that one. Again, I will put some question boxes up on Instagram for you to answer for anything that you want addressed about colic. So keep an eye in the coming days and make sure you write your questions in there. That's all for this week. Thank you for listening. This podcast is where pharmacy is done differently. I'm Katie McGee and you've just listened to another episode of Pharmacy For Me. The advice shared via Pharmacy For Me is considered general in nature and does not consider individual and personal circumstances. Pharmacy For Me presents evidence-based information for education purposes only. Always seek professional advice from your pharmacist or doctor if you have any concerns about an individual and medical decision making. Pharmacy For Me is presented by Katie McGee, a registered pharmacist with the Australian Health Practitioner Regulation Authority. The information provided is within the presenter's scope of practice and abides by national law and the Pharmacy Board of Australia's Pharmacist Code of Conduct.